But uh, I guess after being in this for about eight or nine months, um, we're trying to navigate the waters uh, as much uh, as best as possible. And I know you're doing the same thing. And so I, I, I pray that this morning you'd grab your Bibles and we're going to be looking in, uh, in an Old Testament text in Numbers chapter 21. So I'd like you to take your Bibles to Numbers chapter 21. And we're going to look uh, in this passage of scripture about God's way of salvation. It's also, it teaches not only those who don't know the Lord of the steps in becoming a believer in God and Christ, but it also is a, is a passage of scripture that reveals to us how God sanctifies his people, uh, that the Lord will not allow us to go on in sin uh, without stepping in and uh, providing something for us to show us our sin so our sin comes to the surface, and then we could uh, identify it, acknowledge it, turn from it, repent of it, and of course, uh, confess it to the Lord and continue on to walk in faith. So this morning, we see in our passage, Israel's journey from Sinai to the plains of Moab. It's a lesson concerning sin and grace. It is a story of repeated sin and resulting failure until the Lord, in his grace, causes the serpent to be lifted up, which brought blessing and victory in the plains, on the plains of Moab among the people. So this passage is really a signpost that reads, this is the way of salvation, if you will obey the Lord, by looking to his remedy to save in that way, you will live. In that way, you'll know forgiveness. In that way, you will know life. If not, if you don't want to go with the Lord's way, then you will die in your sin. Now, look at verses 1 through 3 in Numbers chapter 21. It says, when the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was counting or coming by the way of Atharim, then he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver this people unto my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. The Lord heard the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. Then they utterly destroyed them and their cities. Thus, the name of the place was called Hormah, which is which really means destruction. So I read this passage in order to show you that the Lord heard the prayers offered up to him by his people, and he answered their request. Yet, in the people's heart, there was rebellion against the Lord and his leaders. In other words, there was sin in the heart of the people that was stewing for a long, long time. Sin, which was not acknowledged by the people. The people acted as if their words and actions were justified. The people did not see their sinful condition, nor the judgment sin brings, nor did they see their inability to deliver themselves from the consequences without God's deliverance. Now, so this Lord's Day, I would really like you to take seriously and consider at least four things 
all sinners must see before they can be saved, before they can look actually be saved and then live. Now, the first thing all sinners must see before they can look, be saved and live is they must see, you must see, and a sinner must see, they must see their condition. If they don't, they, they'll not be able to see or be saved or live. Now, if you notice the condition of the people found in verse 4 and 5 of Numbers chapter 21, and it reads this way. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of the land of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. Now you see that the people here had to go around the land of Edom. Now Edom was kind of a shortcut to the land of promise. So they're at the end of the journey in the wilderness and they can pretty much maybe think about the good food they're gonna have or the good lands that they're going to be able to cultivate and just the desire to wanna be there, a land flowing with milk and honey. But the only problem is they weren't ready for the land because they still had sin in their heart. They still didn't learn their lessons in the Old Testament. And so because they had to go around Egypt or, or Edom, it is because uh, the king of Edom wouldn't let them through. He would not let them through the land. He would not let them take the shortcut. So they had to go all the way around. So what did they start doing? It says here, they become impatient because of the journey. They were tired of the journey. They were finding themselves so near the promised land, yet they were not entering it. Also, the route that they were taking was the worst part of the desert. It was a harsh part of the desert. It was a dangerous part of the desert. And of course, it presented the people with many unknown difficulties. All that produced in the people's heart impatient. So simmering impatience in their heart lashed out in gross and a gross outburst of murmuring and questioning Moses and God's wisdom. So they really rather have been in slavery with better food than to trust God's goodness. So they attributed evil intent to God and to his leaders. And of course, this shows what's going on in their heart. What did they do in verse number five? They question God. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? So murmuring is really an outward sign of hypocrisy in the heart, of unthankfulness in the heart, of questioning the wisdom of God and the proven goodness of the Lord. 
Because the statement that they relate back to Moses and to the Lord in verse 5 is that it was a statement, but it was not a statement of fact. It was a statement of disgust. It says, for there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food, this manna that came down from heaven. Some equated as a, a honey a wafer. Uh, they were sick of that. It is not that there was no food, but it wasn't the food that they craved in their heart. They wanted the food they knew of in Egypt. In other words, they were looking back to Egypt. And it's like looking back to the world or the past life that you had and said, hey, I had, I had it better back then than I have right now. So grumbling and murmuring was their surface sins, but their heart sin was unbelief. See, the Lord God was very displeased with them. These accusations against him that he provided them with no food and water is, is just simply not true because God not only provided them with that all through their journey, but it also tells us in scripture that God made their shoes especially durable and their clothing they didn't wear out. God had also shown his love by providing a way to be accepted. He gave them in the wilderness the sacrificial system that by faith, uh, as evidence through the blood sacrifice, they could be atoned for their sin. They can have their sins forgiven and covered for a year. But instead of thanking the Lord, they accuse him of neglect. They ignore God's law, telling lies and dishonoring his name. So to see your sin, to see your condition is the first step to looking to being saved and to living. So when a sinner truly sees their own condition before God, it means that they realize they have broken God's law, that sin is a really terrible thing and it does and it does also mean that they have sinned against their creator it's like taking up arms against the almighty when we sin now the blindness of sin doesn't even allow a person to see beyond this life it doesn't allow them to see the hope that they could have in christ and the eternal life they can have with a good god a God who provides needs and provides for our spiritual and eternal needs. It even sin even blinds people to the consequences of breaking God's law. They think law sin is not necessarily a big thing. Now the New Testament informs us that this event that we see here in Numbers warns present-day Christians not to mimic the sins of the Old Testament. And those sins were grumbling and murmuring, which, of course, showed their unbelief. In fact, if you turn there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 through 11, it even tells us in Scripture, if 
you think that this message was just for the people back then, then you would be incorrect. In fact, the message here in the Old Testament is just as revel relevant for us today as it was back then, and even more so. Where it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse number 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happen as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. And then, nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Or let us not, in verse number nine, which really we're looking at this morning, let us not try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Then in verse 11, it says this, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So these scriptures here are for us today. And so scripture teaches us to break God's laws as consequences, just as trying to defy the law of gravity, which results in fractured bones and even death violation of god's law like lying like rumbling like unbelief brings about certain consequences now look with me back at numbers and notice the ramifications of violating the standards of god and also the violations that come when we commit sins like sometimes we don't think grumbling is necessarily sin we think sometimes we're justified to grumble and complain you may be in a circumstance right now that you are um, acting out in a sense you are not satisfied where you're at you wish you had something better or you had something better before and it's not so good now and you are complaining maybe you're posting it on facebook and you're complaining and grumbling and letting people know. But what you're really doing before God is showing the sin that's still in your heart that needs to be dealt with. And God will deal with it. Not only bring, to bring one to salvation, but also to sanctify us so we can become more Christ-like. Now, again, look at Numbers chapter 21 and verse number 6. And of course, this leads me to the second thing all sinners must see before they can look, be saved, and, and live. It, said, it tells us there, until you see the judgment your sins against God brings, you will not look, be saved, and live. It says in verse 6, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people in Israel died. Now, that seems like very severe judgment upon the sin of grumbling but it was way more than that they were grumbling for many years uh, throughout the wilderness complaining against moses complaining against god and notice 
in our passage, who sent the serpents among the people? The Lord himself did. Which shows the measure the Lord will take to bring people to see the consequences of violating God's law and the consequences of sin. God sent poisonous snakes among them in judgment. He sent them. And the desert areas in the Middle East are well known for several types of poisonous vipers. The hornet viper, the carpet viper are the most dreaded in that area of the world. But the, the point there is that these were vipers that produced fiery sting to their bite. And it could have been caused by venom, causing a burning sensation one bit. But of course, it is, is the picture there of, of the, the burning sensation of sin. Sin is a sting to us. So the severe burning sensation caused by the ven venom really fits here and has really the most direct possible connection to the New Testament. This most likely is what the Apostle Paul was referring to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he said in that resurrection chapter, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, it says there, and the power of sin is the law. So see, the consequences of the people sinning was death. So to see that there are consequences to all your sin is the second step of looking, of being saved, and of living for God. This brings me to a third thing. All sinners must see before they can look, be saved, and lived. And the third thing is this, until you see your inability to save yourself from your dreadful condition and God's judgment, you will not look, be saved, and live. In verse number six, it says, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people will try to save themselves. That the venom will be the cause of death. Sin is what causes death. And no one has the ability to rescue themselves from its consequences. Not themselves, they do not. In the very first book of the Bible, God said sin would lead to death. Physical sin is the separation of a man's spirit from his flesh from his body, excuse me, and then spiritually, it's a relationally, it's separation of man's spirit from God, and then, of course, eternal death is separation of man's spirit from God forever, called in the book of Revelation, the second death. The word of God says all over the place, for just as through one man sin into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sin and the wages of sin is death. So if you notice, the scripture tells us in Numbers 21 verse six, that not all the people died. The ones who did not 
died soberly really took into immediate consideration God's only remedy to be delivered from the consequences of their personal sin. And God always provides a way so sin can be forgiven, so sin can be not acknowledged. He always provides a way out. And to see that you cannot save yourself from the consequences of all your sin is the, really the third step to be looking and being saved and living. That leads me to a fourth thing. All sinners must consider before they can look, be saved, and live. So until you look to God's remedy that brings deliverance and restoration, you will not be saved and live. So the first indication a sinner is looking to God to be saved is repentance. Look what it says in verse 7 of Numbers 21. It says, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Now, if you notice there, what you see here is an acknowledgement of sin. And then also calling sin what it is. An offense to God, to his work, and to his ministers that work in his behalf. So the purpose of God's judgment is to bring about a change of mind and a change of heart and a desire to turn from that sin and confess it to the Lord, which pleases God. God wants to hear the confession of our sin. And that first indication is that we would repent. And repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin. It is a renouncing of it. It is a sincere commitment to forsake it and to walk in obedience to God. See, we must genuinely renounce our sin and commit to forsake it in our lives. And that's what the people did here. Now, this does not mean that you have to first clean up your life before coming to receive God's remedy. And many people think that. I'm not ready to come because I have this going on in my life. I'm not ready to come to Christ because I have to take care of this thing. No, when we turn to God for salvation from sin, one is really simultaneously turning away from the sins they are asking God to save them from. And in this case, it was grumbling. It was impatience. It was ultimately hypocrisy and unbelief, not believing God would finish what he started, bringing them into the promised land, finally, bringing them into the land he promised all those 40 years as they came out of Egypt and went through the desert. See, God's promises will definitely come to pass, but you have to wait for his timing. And they were impatient. They didn't want to wait anymore. They wanted it now. And God says, no, you're not ready for it now because you still have sin in your heart. You're still grumbling in your tents. You're still complaining against my ways and my, and my ministers that I put before you. And so, therefore, you have to repent of that first. So a second indication that a person comes to actually look to God's remedy 
is they look to God's intercessor for deliverance. Look at Numbers 21, verse 7. It says, intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. So the Israelites recognized that they had sinned. So they asked God through Moses to deliver them. This meant that they needed to trust the way of God, the way that God actually would deliver. They needed to trust that. So God was going to give the children of Israel a chance to express their faith in the Lord and take him at his word to follow his direction and his guidance. Now today, you must ask God through Christ, who is the intercessor, who is the mediator, to deliver you from sin's consequences and condemnation. Where it says in 1 Timothy 2.5, where there is one God and one meteor also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So you, you cannot take Jesus out of the equation. People talk about God in a generic way, but you can't go to the Father unless you come through Jesus, the Son. See, repentance towards the Father, it says in Acts, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's always the way it is. You can't just go to God the Father without a mediator. And the mediator is Jesus Christ. And in this case, the mediator was Moses, who was a type of Christ. And then, of course, there is a third indication that one is looking to God for the remedy looking to God's remedy with faith. It says in verse number eight and nine. Now, before I read that, just to mention that Moses was directed to make a figure of a serpent in bronze to be elevated on a pole or a standard that he might be seen, that it might be seen. And of course, at the, all the extremities of the camp and every bitten Israelite, all they had to do is look, look to it that they may be healed or be saved from death and the consequences of their sin. Now, notice in verse number eight of Numbers 21, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit anyone, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. And there it is, that, that looking is synonymous with faith. That's what faith is. Not trusting in yourself. Not trusting in any system. Um, but looking to Christ. So to see that the only way to be saved is to look to Christ. God's only remedy to save lost sinners, which is this fourth step to being saved and living. The scenario of unbelief may go something like this. 
you know that Moses, the servant of God, I think that he is a little bit losing it. That maybe his elevator doesn't go to the top floor. He is one of those holy prophets. Uh, that old timer Moses is, is kind of crazy. If he thinks that looking at a bizarre snake on a pole is going to heal a venomous bite, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. It goes against all conventional wisdom, wisdom of medicine, of science. It just is not logical. It goes against all conventional things that we could ever think. Such a person would have died, not only because of the snake bite, but also because they did not believe God. People say, I don't believe fairy tales. And the gospel sometimes sounds to me like a fairy tale. And yet the word of God tells us, if you look again with me at Numbers chapter 21, verse eight and nine, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, once you make this and you look, when you look to the bronze serpent, you will live. So when an Israelite was bitten, all he had to do was to turn and look at the bronze serpent, and then he would be healed and live. Now, why is it that people hate, despise, and reject the gospel? Well, it is because it's so different. It's different in every respect from what people would expect God would do. God apparently does the exact opposite often of what we think he should be doing. So people do not understand. They do not like God's way of working. It does not conform to their little plans and their systems often of religion. So this particular method of cure for salvation was designed by God first to show that it was the efficacy of God's power and grace, not the effect of nature or, or man that brought about the cure. And secondly, that it might be a type of the power of faith in God and Christ to heal all who look to him because of their sin. And of course, that brings me to the passage of scripture that was read this morning in the New Testament. Here in Numbers, we have what we call a type. A type is that which foreshadows or forecasts or represents beforehand something that will happen later on, which is called an anti-type. So types take different forms. But the object was always to give the picture of people, of, to people of what was going to happen in the future. So God was preparing these people, the children of Israel, for the tremendous deliverance that was going to be provided by those who looked. When God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. So as the people looked at the serpent, lifted up on the pole, you, give the, you get the foreview of what the Lord Jesus would do. 
The people were bitten because of their sins. They were complaining and rebellious towards God. And this type, the brazen serpent, had no power to heal. Only God had the power to heal. But when a person fixed their eyes on the serpent of brass, they were restored to health. In the same way, the antitype, which is Christ in the New Testament, who does have the power to give spiritual life to the one who looks, who trusts, and the one who is lifted up. So faith in God's way of salvation is the way of looking to God. So when you come across a passage of, of scripture in the New Testament, which points to the fulfillment, that type that is called the anti-type is how we see Jesus Christ all through the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 14 through 17, it says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes or looks to Jesus will in him have eternal life. Now, here's this man, Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel, and he didn't get that yet. He didn't come to the place where he realized all he had to do is look and he can be saved. And if you notice in John chapter three, if, when you read through there, the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus kinds of, kind of ends when Jesus says to him, even so the son of man must be lifted up. He immediately connected what Jesus said to the Old Testament passage of scripture in Numbers, and he knew right then that looking was faith. And that's what he did. He believed in Jesus Christ at that point. He became born again into the kingdom of God. He knew Jesus was the only way, the truth, and the life, and he became a believer on that day. So can you honestly say you have looked to Christ alone for eternal life? Or are you still looking to yourself or something or someone else? Are you still, or maybe you're still working on it yourself, still trying to be good? I would like to ask you again today, has this wonderful person of Jesus Christ been born in your hearts today? Truly, I, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Has that happened to you? Christ, who is the king of the kingdom. Christ, who says, who will go in and who will not go in to the kingdom, has says emphatically to us, you can in no wise enter the kingdom of God unless one is born again, born anew, born from above. Are you born again? See, the invitation is this. Look to God for the remedy. Repent of your sin of unbelief. Look to the intercessor, Jesus Christ, for deliverance. Look to God's only remedy for salvation, Jesus Christ, who was lifted up on the cross, dying in the place of sinners, paying for sin and defeating it, satisfying God's justice, 
defeating death and Satan, and then rising from the dead so you can live. So today is the day to look to Christ, to be born again. Don't wait until the end to say to yourself, which I have had many people actually say to me, I will wait till the point of death to believe. I will become born again right before I die. But don't be so foolish to think that you can outmaneuver the fox of death. You cannot do it. It may be too late to hope for tomorrow. Tomorrow, you may be in hell, sealed up forever. So you, you see, death freezes you to be as you were on earth for all eternity. So the grand question to ask and honestly answer is, are you born again? Have you looked to the one who was lifted up on the cross for your sake? Are you looking to Jesus Christ? If you desire to do that, you must admit that you are a sinner under God's just penalty and turn to him from your sin for forgiveness. Also, you need to understand your inability to save yourself. There's nothing you can do to earn or merit salvation. Also, you need to believe, you need to look and see that there is no other remedy in but in Jesus Christ. And then, of course, you need to receive him. Jesus, you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That means to ask him. Ask Jesus to save you from sin's condemnation. He's the only one who could do it. He came to save sinners. And then once you do that, then you need to follow Christ. Follow Jesus in loving obedience every day. See, the Israelites had to learn that lesson, and often Christians have to learn that lesson in sanctification, that we're not, we can't go on in our sin and keep following the Lord. We, have, we get stuck right in the mud right there until we repent of the sin and confess it. So a biblical Christian is not merely one who says, oh, yes, I know that I am a sinner with a bad record and a bad heart. I know that God's provision for sin is in Christ and his cross. I know it comes to all uh, to who repent and look to Christ, but that's not enough. Can you make the claim this morning to be a Christian that sticks from the Bible? Does your life manifest the fruits of repentance and faith? Do you possess a life of attachment to Christ, obedience to Christ, and confession of Christ on a regular basis? Is your behavior marked by adherence to the ways of the Lord? Are you being conformed to the image of Christ and it shows in your life? No, not perfectly, but the evidence points that this is surely the direction of your life. So I ask you again on this Lord's Day, are you born again? Is Jesus born in your heart today? I would urge you. I would urge you to humble yourself. Acknowledge your sin. And look at Jesus the Savior and invite him to come 
and be born in you and cleanse you and forgive you and transform you, I beg you to do that today. If you know Christ, I pray that you would not let your sin go on and on and on. And even if these sins that were brought up in the scripture this morning of complaining, of grumbling that has been going on in your heart, uh, God knows about it. You need to repent, turn from that, because it shows that you don't really believe what God's doing in your life, and you think you have something better than God has for you, and you don't. I pray that you would look at your life in that way, and as you do, that you would surely uh, continue to walk with the Lord, and if you don't know Christ today, young people, you haven't confessed Christ, today's the day that you can right there where you're at, wherever you're at, if you have listened and you paid attention to ask Christ to save you, turn from your sin and, and become a Christian today. And let us know about it if you have. Let us know if you've done that. And so let's, let's pray now. Let's pray. Oh God of our deliverance, I come before you this Lord's day in behalf of your people, lifting up praise for the bitter agony and the cruel death you willfully and patiently accomplished in the place of all who believe in you and turn from their sins and follow you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your precious blood that was shed to wash away the sins of your people. After your payment for our debt that we could have never done on our behalf, we could have never paid that price. You went to the grave, but the grave could not hold you. Your power burst the bands of death and trampled down the power of darkness, triumphing over sin, Satan, and death. Lifted, in doing that, you lifted your people out of their sin. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that today, all those who know you can come to you and can rejoice in the great fact that Christ is the way of salvation. And those, Lord, who are believers that can also rejoice in the fact that when we do sin, you, the power of the cross is still available to us every single day. And that as we come and confess it, you are still faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. So I pray, Lord, today as a congregation that we would just continually give up praise and worship to you because of the great things you have done and even the things that you are yet to do in our life. Let us be sensitive to your spirit and to our sin. So, Lord, each day we grow more and more, bearing more fruit in our Christian walk of the image of Christ in our life. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done and will do. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for that uh, great message. And uh, you know, I'm reminded that um, you know the gospel isn't just for unbelievers, but as believers, when we are tempted with complaining and grumbling, um, it's mostly because we forgot the gospel. We forgot the message that Jesus saved us um, at His expense. And um, just coming off of the holiday of Thanksgiving, um, and uh, Hopefully you've all 
been able to have a meal um, with with relatives or friends, and um, what reminds what what that reminds us of is the fact that in the last day, Jesus, if you are His, if you have accepted the gospel message, that He will invite you to His Thanksgiving feast, and um, in that feast, He will actually wait on you, and He will serve you, and He will prepare the food. Uh, he'll even handle the cleanup, so you don't have to do that. Um, and it's all by grace. So let's sing uh, this song. We haven't sung this in a long time. And I hope you'll sing with me at home. Uh, Jesus, thank you. cross I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary you the perfect holy one crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me your blood has washed away my sin Jesus thank you Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once your enemy now seated at your table Jesus thank you brought us near by your perfect sacrifice I've been brought near your enemy you've made your friend pouring out the riches of your glorious grace your mercy and your kindness know no your blood has washed away my sin Jesus thank you Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once your enemy now seated at your table Jesus thank you. your blood has washed away my sin Jesus, thank you. Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Lover of our soul. Lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Lover of my soul 
away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. Well, it's the week after Thanksgiving, so uh, it's time to do some Christmas songs. Let's sing one of my favorites. Oh, come all you faithful. second I lost the music for this okay I apologize for that uh, let's let's restart the song Okay, um, let's do verse 2. Sing choir of angels. Sing choirs of angels. Sing in exaltation. Sing all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God. Glory in the highest. Oh, come. Let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to Thee be all glory Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. 
us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. Amen. Let's sing our last song. My heart is filled with thankfulness. Calvary for tuning in today. It's, of course, our heart's desire to be with you in person, uh, to be singing these songs with you in the congregation. Uh, so let's just end with a word of prayer, and then we'll be, uh, we'll be done for, 
this afternoon. Father, uh, thank you for giving us your church. And thank you, Lord, for um, the servants that you've provided um, to, to serve in your church. And thank you, Lord, for the hearts of every member uh, whose heart desires to come to worship you and to serve your people. And Lord, uh, as we uh, close today, we just want to acknowledge and express how thankful we are for the blessings that you've given us that we cannot take for granted, uh, even in this weird time. And uh, thank you, Lord, for the health of the congregation. And we pray, Lord, that next week uh, we would be able to come and meet in person, that uh, you would grant the servants that serve uh, health, and that we would be able to come and worship you with joy in our hearts. And uh, thank you, Lord, for, um, for even the, the works of, that you've given us to do in your church. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Take care.